Welcome back. Operation Brewery, our podcast is now in season two. We left you guys in July, I think last year, when we just opened our brewery and we're all very excited about achieving that goal of opening the brewery. We're a little bit later than expected, but we were able to get it opened and that was super cool. But opening the brewery came with a whole set of new challenges. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss some of those and have a chat to our good mate Hendo, who's helping us with a little project that's going to form the basis of season two of this podcast. Essentially, we are working on improving the quality of the beer we make, and we're going after an award at the AIBA Awards, which happens in May every year in Australia. So this season will be about following along our journey towards those awards and hopefully culminating at the awards dinner in May. Um, but today's episode is kicking it off with Hendo, talking about how to make beer well, and giving you guys an update on what's happened in the last seven months. Thank you for the support. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Well, let's start with filling people in on what's happened in the last seven months because we did the first season where we it was all about opening a brewery and really didn't talk anything at all about running a brewery. So... What's happened in the last seven months? Fuck load. <laughs> Heaps. Tell me more. Where do we start? Well, we had to learn, I guess. Whoops, we hadn't done it. Yeah. So we opened, it, we opened in June. I think the last episode was in July. Um, I wasn't here, but... <laughs> we, we managed without you. You managed, you managed, <laughs> you managed without us. We, we made it through summer. Um, I don't know. What, what is, yeah, so I, I guess what are the... What are the good things that happen and what are the not so good things? The good things are we're still making beer. <laughs> the doors are still open. Yeah. Um, we're making money. Not not heaps, but we're making money, which is a positive, I think, for seven months in. Yeah. Um, we've got... There's more of us. It, used, it was just three, three drunks sitting in a podcast room. Now yeah, it's... Ten drunks. Ten drunks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this, the, the staff thing's been cool. Chris, our sales guy, is crushing it. We've got a cool group of people who help with this, the bar and the bottling. I think it's 10 total. Yeah, I think I there's 10 of us. I think we, we had a pretty wicked Christmas party. <laughs> True. That could have been a good podcast. <laughs> um, the, the ven- we're, we're stocking at a lot more venues too. I think we're, we're around 100. I, I, I hadn't made the effort to count those for a while, but the last time I counted it was about 50. So up to hundred now. Yeah, all local on the Gold Coast or um, Gold Coast and Brizzy mainly. Yeah, I think that's sort of everyone we've either sold to within the last couple of months. Yeah, or these aren't regular. Not yeah, regular. not weeklies, but no. in the loop. Yeah, so I think that's good. I think like the last couple of like since the start of summer, we're probably selling to twice as many places. Oh, easy. Which is pretty cool. Um, and the cellar door's going really well. Summer's been pretty huge getting consistent crowds in more so probably Fridays and Saturdays but people in every day tours are going going well takeaways good yeah yeah growlers and squealers are going well lots of people coming in for growlers and squealers package I think could probably be better that's probably one thing we need to improve 
Yeah, we, we knew the for, the shortcomings True. on that going into it. Yeah, um, we, we didn't even have forecast. No. It wasn't True. part of our plan to even be bottling at this point. I think yeah. we've made it work for us to a degree. Yeah, but part of that is now that we've also hit our capacity. Seven months in, we've, we're we're filling tanks and emptying them just as quickly. So um, expansion time. Yeah, it's pretty exciting for 2017. Yeah, hopefully we can get more more space, more tanks, and that'll make it easier for us to package more, easier uh, easier to brew more, and less people coming in not finding the beer they want. And hopefully more cellar door floor space. Yeah, that'd be cool too. It's pretty small at the moment. It's been good though. It'd be it'd be good to be able to do events and stuff too. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but. We're working on it. We're yeah. working on it. <laughs> All that's going to be good. The other, the other cool thing is the neighbours have been really good because I think when we, when we were on this podcast last time, we were still because we weren't open. Like we were still talking to the neighbours about what it was going to be like, and definitely not every single person was on board with it. But since then, um, I think that pretty much. I think they around. saw we're not Carlton United and and Melbourne's yeah, yeah. all mel- melded into one. We told yeah. them, you know, 12 months ago that we wanted to be good neighbours and I think, you know, hearing that's not enough and we've proved it over the last seven months and, and done done everything that we were supposed to do and kind of above and beyond yeah. to be a good neighbour. It's a cool area too and I think the yeah. Burley Social thing's sorted now, right? So they uh, I don't know if it's been announced. I don't know if it's official. It's sort of just gone away. It's still, it's still there. It's still there. It's, it's, it was like I, I got ago. coffee this morning. Yeah. That's about as far as I'm willing to go with that. So hopefully it means that people are getting used to the idea of there being venues in the area. But, yeah. Um, there's been a couple of issues. The things I wrote down were there's been a couple of equipment things and a few process issues which, which kind of tie into the equipment things. Um, so, which is, which will lead into our chat with you, Hendo, but let's um, talk about some of those things. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, there is no such thing as a perfectly run brewery and um, we knew, especially when we set up for, you know, the price that we paid for all of our equipment that things were going to break down yeah. and, and we did have a couple of things fail on us. Um, one of them was our glycol system. So, we lost... The biggest loss was all the glycol. We lost about 3,000 litres of glycol. The which, pump, pump failed. Yeah, so a seal on a pump failed. <laughs> um, just a very simple fix, like not a huge problem, but the cost involved in replacing that. How much glycol these days, a litre? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, so we were able to get it back up and running really quickly. But we didn't lose any beer either. No, no that's a cool thing because we, yeah. we just bought a we bought a bunch of ice. I was buying and... tons of ice every day, filling our glycol tank with it, and yeah. using iced water to chill our tanks. It would have actually been better for us had we lost beer because insurance would have come into it. Yeah, but as beer it was, was insured, true. the glycol wasn't. <laughs> Yeah. But don't worry, we've lost beer as well. We can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, ha- we also had a solenoid fail on one of our tanks, um, which was right in the peak of fermentation. Um, and it was unfortunate, and the temperature of the beer got up and we were well away. too high. We, we actually went away for the weekend. So it was yeah. the, the first time we went away for two days. We went down to Newcastle for Warners at the Bay. Um, and I was confident blindly that you know we could get away for a couple of days and everything would be sweet but you know sure enough the second you do that something goes wrong and no one was here to to check it and had had someone been here that day we would have 
spotted it before it was too late. Mm. It may not have made a difference, though. It may not have, but it probably would have. Um, and we came back on the Monday and the, the beer was cooked. So we, we had to dump an entire batch of beer. Wow. Mm. And the paperwork that goes with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They love that. Yeah, so it's, it was part... I mean, it was equipment failure, really, but also... A process, a process failure as well. Yeah. yeah. If we had a process where, you know, every day someone does that job, we could have had someone here doing that job, even if it wasn't you. So that's, I guess, what we learnt, but... Yeah, and, yeah. and part of that, you know, I've been running the entire brewery by myself for the yeah. past seven months, um, which is it's not sustainable, but it's gotten us here to... Our, to where we are and um, we've now got a young strapping lad who's <laughs> learning some of the ropes <laughs> yeah um, to take a bit of the pressure off me sweet um, which probably leads us into the conversation with you Hendo welcome hi how you been good <laughs> <laughs> I'm here on the beautiful Gold Coast and it's good to be here and um, uh, yeah I'm really excited and looking forward to working with you guys over the next uh couple of months more or less really isn't it yeah so you you came to us the other week and you had something you're working on and had an idea for us so why don't you fill us in yeah so i've sort of uh taken uh, a bit of a, a back seat with uh with brewcult for a while i mean had a really big 2016 uh you know winning the champion gypsy brewer trophy at the arbas and gold medals at the cba awards and then opened a bar and November and it kind of left me feeling a little bit, a little bit cooked, and um, lots of change happening within the business as well. And I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna head up this way. My, I'm originally from southeast Queensland. I grew up on uh, up on the northern end of the Gold Coast, and um, um, and my family lives, you know, at the Granite Belt or Brisbane or up on the Sunshine Coast. So it's good to be around family and that sort of thing for a while. And um, you know, one of the, the, the changes that's been happening within uh, Brewcold at the moment is um, we're, we're sort of, we're not, I'm not spending that much time in, in a brewery at the moment and not making beer makes Hendo very sad. <laughs> so, um, so it's good to be working with you guys. It sort of gets me back on the floor. I've got my boots on and... Um, Sitting you know, in an air-conditioned yeah, office drinking beer. Pink beer. So, yeah, it's good. Cool. So the I guess the topic of this was uh, how to make beer well, which is which is I guess what you're working on this idea. Yeah. Look, um, it really leads on from you know your your book uh, that you released uh, last year and how Daniel and I sort of worked on writing that and you approached me and said, hey, can you write the forward for it? And I said, yep, absolutely. That sounds like a great idea. And um, a lot of what I wrote in the forward maybe might have been a bit of a forward pardon the pun, forward thinking mm. kind of thing of where, where the, the, the next the next chapter of your of the Black Ops journey um, and um, you know uh, the, the, the long and the short of what I'd written there was was um, great, you've got a brewery, it's up and running you're making beer now it's time to make beer well and that's not to say that um, you know that, that, that the beer that comes out of Black Ops is, is bad but um, the way in which I look at um, uh, uh, the beer and the and the brewing industry and that sort of thing is we have to strive for a, an ever increasing level uh, standard of, of quality mm. and it's a process of continuous improvement. So um, you know, Govzi's done a great job getting um, the brewery up and running, and I reckon he's. 
I, I, I would agree with him, seeing, seeing what I've seen over the last couple of weeks and especially yesterday and um, just watching Govsy work on the floor as he's getting pretty busy. He needs some help. And um, uh, and and sort of where you and I, we're all going to work together over the next couple of months and we're going to um, strive to improve because uh, that's just what you do. You know, just make better beer. It's good yeah. for everybody, really. It's and good for the business, good for the punters. And are you are you ready to talk about your what what your services? Yeah. Are? So yeah. Um, you know, while while Brewholt's not not uh, not making too much beer, and it doesn't really require me, I'm uh, I've uh, started a, a new business. It's called Rockstar Brewer, and um, it's uh, I suppose it's a little bit of a consultancy or advisory business uh, for craft brewers to. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's plenty of you know there's plenty of brewing consultants out there that'll go and um and sell you a brewery and sell you equipment, help you build a brewery. But I don't think there's too much here in Australia in the way of once you're up and running, um, helping you to make the best beer that you can. And so, um, you know, over the last few years, I've had lots of chats with lots of brewers who are now up and running, uh, you guys included, and. Um, so what I'm doing now is is um, putting something back into the industry, taking my uh, experience. I've worked in literally dozens of different breweries over the years, and you know that there's a there's a lot of um, knowledge that's sort of built up, and a lot of it's in my head. And what this is about is um, getting that knowledge out of my head and sharing it. And um, for um, breweries that are out there who want to uh, improve the standard of the beer that they're making. Give me a call. Well, go to rockstarbrewer.com and, and um, just chuck your email address on there for now, and uh, and we'll 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 send you some more information when it's up and running. Sweet. So your your idea was you're launching this thing anyway. You may as well do a case study with us. Absolutely. And you'll build the the what's it going to look like? Is going to be procedures or is going to be training? Or? It's, uh, it's 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 a little bit of training. Um, there's a little bit of little bit of technology behind it. Um, I prefer, I don't know if it would actually turn into a software application, but mm. um, uh, I've got this pretty fancy Google spreadsheet which captures a lot of data and right. um, it, uh, it, it, it can pretty much plug into any brewery and it's good for um, a brewer to be able to collect information so they build up a, a, a lot of knowledge about what they're doing because... You know, you can make a, uh, you know, if you if you make a bad batch of beer, for example, and you go, geez, that wasn't so great. Let's not do that again. Or on the flip side, if you make a really awesome batch of beer and you go, that was phenomenal. We need to be doing that all the time. How did you do it? Mm. And so, you know, you, you, in terms of the repeatability and learning from your mistakes, you need to build up a, 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 a massive set of data and to give your uh, brewery the intelligence that it needs to be able to make good decisions and improve um, the product that comes out. So there's a little bit of that, um, a little bit of advisory, you know, just straight up consulting. There's a little bit of uh, training in there, um, and then there's there's a, there's a little bit of IP around, you know, things like standard operating procedures mm. and stuff like that. So I'm just going to see where it goes. I'm I'm pretty pretty sort of open minded, and that's why you know having you guys on as a as a case study brewery is going to really. I mean, you know, most of it comes from what's happening on the floor with Govsy. So mm. it's sort of, you know, Govs has got some, probably going to have some needs about things that he wants to achieve and it'll probably steer in that direction, you know. So 
yeah. not here to tell Govzy what to do. It's 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 you know it's his house, and, and I'm very respectful of that. Um, oh, don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly but, what um, <laughs> and that's what we want. Govzy, you know, do that. It's it's about getting over your ego and realizing that the goal here is to make better beer mm. and run a better mm. brewery, and everyone wins. If absolutely, uh, I think. Um, now, in two th- the 2017, we're going to see some pretty significant change in, in the craft beer industry here in Australia. Um, and I think it's kind of going to be very reminiscent of what happened in the US in the late 90s. So, that it, so for those that don't know, there was a, the first craft beer boom in the United States and in around the late 90s before the, the dot-com bust right before that was a pretty pretty decent shakeout of of breweries in in the US and a lot of breweries went bust you know uh shut up shop and, and that sort of thing and uh I think if I recall correctly it was uh, Greg Cook from Stone Brewing who said the shakeout wasn't based on <coughs> price it was based that the the brewers who weren't who would it was a shakeout based on quality mm. and those brewers who weren't making good beer uh were the ones that 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 um uh, didn't survive. Yeah, it's it's like most industries. Like you don't have to be a qualified brewer to open a brewery. No. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people are getting into that space because it's attractive and they they're good home brewers. And um, it's a lot more than that. And I think this program is going to really make people realise that quality is important. And it's going to be the people that apply it that will that will stay around and survive this shake-up that's, yeah. that's on you, its way. <laughs> you probably speak to a lot of, uh, of homebrewers out there who yeah, are thinking absolutely. about going pro and, you know, I speak to lots of people, you know, that say to me, oh, Hendo, I want to do what you've done and, and I'm like, well, okay, the, probably the first thing you need to do is get a formal education um, in, in brewing uh, <coughs> and then, um, and secondly, probably go and work in someone else's brewery yeah, for a while. A yeah. well. And there seems to be at the moment a lot of homebrewers coming um, you know, out of the out of the woodwork, so to speak, and they're launching in and starting their own brands. Mm, and the Gypsy Brewing Avenue. And, yeah, that's yeah. right. And I'm not I'm not for a second trying to discourage people from going down that path. I mean, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with it. Um, but what I've always said, and I and, and I said in, in the forward to, to your book was, um, go make your beer, bring it to the market because there's consumers out there who want to drink your beer. Just do it well because if you don't make your beer well, you make the rest of us look bad. Mm. And um, and so you know that's that's really what we need to do. There's lots of people in the industry who want to help too. So, um, but you know, getting a formal education is really important. Like, yeah. Gubbs has got a formal education. He's done IBD, I think it was. So, which level are you at with the IBD? Is just the DCB like yeah, just the, entry level? Yeah, but you know what? It's yeah. it's something. Yeah, right? it's not what it's not is. Uh, Gov's jumping on Google in the morning trying to work out how something works from a yeah. from mm. homebrew website or uh, working out how much yeast to pitch from Mr. Yeah. Multi or something like that, you know. <laughs> mm. um, it's more to it than that, you know. So, um, you know, so Gov's has done IBD. I've got um, a postgraduate degree, so I've got a, a graduate certificate in brewing from University of Ballarat, which is now known as Federation University in Victoria. Um, and there's lots of paths you can take to get a formal education. Um, you can do you can, University of Ballarat, there's IBD, there's Siebel Institute in the US. Uh, there is, thanks to uh, Neil Cameron from uh, Institute of Beer in Sydney, uh, 
also, I think Richard Adamson from Young Henry's is also involved. They're actually writing uh, Certificate 3 uh, for TAFE uh, in Ultimo TAFE in Sydney. So there's actually going to be some vocational training for brewers starting in a few weeks' time. That's great. And so that, yeah. that course is fully subscribed now, I'm led to believe. But, um, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's really awesome. Because well, that's fantastic because brewing is one of those crafts where you do need to study, but you also need to be doing it. It's like reading how to become a plumber and not actually have ever changed a tap before. That's right. Like <laughs> applying the skills physically is, is also quite a big challenge. So having someone who's willing to teach you the, the practical yeah. side and, and giving allowing you the space to, to learn. And I think it's important to distinguish between the skill of making beer and the skill of making beer at a commercial scale because they're obviously two very different things. Oh, 100%, mm. yeah. Totally. Um, and it's it's not about discouraging people. It's It's about educating people and, and giving ev- people who want to pursue this path the right tools to succeed and not jump in and, and fail. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, we, we're still in uh, the situation here in Australia where the craft beer industry is still growing. Beer consumption is still declining, which I think is really weird, but craft beer <laughs> consumption is going up, so we're sort of really uh, bucking the trend here. Um, but, you know, the, the funny thing is is that consumers are very savvy even though they may not be able to articulate uh, what beer quality is they know a good beer when they drink it and they know a bad beer when they drink it I can't say why I can't necessarily say why that's true yeah absolutely uh, give you an example uh, what were you drinking before you drank started drinking craft beer what beer were you drinking little creatures probably but before that even oh god before that the oldies yeah, powers cans. Powers cans. <laughs> what is it, 1993? <laughs> um, so everyone has their craft beer epiphany, right? Yeah. And before they were drinking craft beer, they were drinking some mainstream beer. Let's just call it Forex Gold, for example, right? Drunk plenty yeah. of that. Right, every, everyone's drunk plenty of Forex Gold, right? It's all my dad drinks. You know, it, it, that's, just, that's just how it is. Now, uh, I would. I'm going to make. I'll make a statement here. Forex Gold is a very high quality beer, and there's a lot of people out there who are probably listening right now who'll go, "No, it's not. It's shit." Hmm. And hmm. my let's say shit. Oh fuck! Oh fuck okay, yeah! Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, they go, "No, it's a shit beer." And so how? Um, uh, I think it's a very high quality beer. Carlton Draft is a very high quality beer. It's exactly the same. VB is a very exactly. It's it's never it never has any variation. Mm. Um, it has extremely long shelf life. You can drink a two year old, um, you know, Forex Gold, and it tastes almost as good as the day it went into the um, uh, into the can or the bottle. Mm. Um, and um, it's very well made. It's backed up by very highly paid people who work in labs and mm. sensory evaluation, um, you know, a studio or something like that. And and um, and it's always consistent and it's measured and it's it's very factory made. And you don't have to you know, like it, it lacks the value. So mm. I kind of class beer into. Uh, in two ways there's quality and there's value and so you can have a beer that's very high quality but very low value and that would be your forex gold right it's extremely well made beer but i don't think too much of that that beer or that Mm. style and that sort of thing and then on you know you can have it on the flip side where you've got high value low quality which is you know uh you know i recall a, a brewery from 
around 2010 who made this ground groundbreaking beer it was like a 10 uh, percent smoked imperial bird horsehair stout or something like that <laughs> right um but you know um one bottle was flat next bottle was a gusher next one was okay and it all come out of the same tank so that's like yep. low quality high value but people were raving about this beer and how groundbreaking it was and it was true and so I think as, uh, you know, as a, as a modern craft brewer in 2017, we need to strive for both high value and high quality. That doesn't mean that all brewers should be making, you know, um, barrel-aged burnt horsehair triple IPAs, mm. <laughs> but what each brewery chooses to make which captures their particular audience, you need to be doing a beer that they value and then do it well. Do you think there's a, a compromise? Like I, I, I noticed, maybe just anecdotally, but I noticed like as the breweries get bigger and bigger and bigger, the beer seems to get less. I don't, I don't know if less good is the, is the right word, but it doesn't seem to taste the same anymore without naming names. Is that, is that a factor of the size or do you think, do you think it's... Is there something else going well, on? How do you or? mean it doesn't taste the same anymore? Describe I, I that to me. I just, I just think it becomes... It starts to taste more like the mainstream beer starts to taste. Yeah, well, I think it's probably for a number of reasons. It's like approachability, but it's also cost of manufacturing. Yeah. At, at a larger scale, if you can shave 10% of your hops out of a beer and still it's still, still acceptable, yeah. then, you know, that's a huge saving to a large brewery, whereas smaller guys, you know, we can, we'll dump 50 kilos into a batch and not give a fuck how mm. much it costs. Um, so it's probably works on a number of levels. Mm. Maybe your taste changed. I think that as that well. Probably yeah, has that's a lot to do with it. You know, I I always make sure that uh, I, you know, in my personal consumption of beer, that I drink lots of new beers that mm. I haven't tried before, and try consistently consi- have a consistent range of beers that I that are just go tos that I drink plenty of as well, mm. um, and you know that are that are pretty accessible. And I, you know, I I kind of love how you can walk into a lot of bars pretty much anywhere in the country now um you know around any major urban area and there's always something that you know and it might be a little creatures you know pale ale or it might be a stone and wood pacific ale but their 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 beer the, the, the beers from those breweries come from operations that are so big that they have the financial means to be able to invest in um quality management that's not too dissimilar to um, you know your forexes mm. and and um, um, you know your your your, FOS, your your CBs and that sort of thing. So yeah. Alrighty. Well, questions. Let's do some questions. Fan, well, I can't call it fan questions. That sound like a <laughs> uh, audience questions. Hendo fan questions. Um, well, you sort of. I did have one saying why'd you move to Queensland, which you kind of answered. Yeah, it's just. Um, Really, it's just about... Um, he wants to look like Kelly Slater. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, next, for a while. <laughs> speaking of Kelly Slater, next, I'm going to bring in next time, um, I, I actually, there's a, there's a photo of me when I was 19 years old over at uh, Burley Heads there, and I was in Australia Surfing Life magazine, and because I got my photo, and Kelly Slater's on the cover, he was a very young man back in 1993, and um, yeah, it's, it was just cool as shit. He would have had hair back then. No. Nah. No? No, I don't think so. I think he shaved it. Or he wouldn't have been much left. I don't know. I have to drag, dig it out. I have to 
get the he had a good head of hair. Anyway. He was on Baywatch, and they <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he's Baywatch. That's right. um, anyway, answer the question. Um, look, Brewcult still a thing, and if you're in, if you're listening, and you're in Melbourne, head up to Brewcult Bar, five eighty one Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um, you know the the, the the bar's chugging along very well, and um, Matt and and the crew are. Uh, there and uh, ready to serve all of your beery and foodie uh, needs. It's a, it's an amazing space and I'm very proud of it. Um, this is really just a bit of a uh, personal thing, you know. It's more it's more about me getting more in touch with actually making beer. I think, as I said before, I, th- I found that I was being dragged too far away from any brewery. And I've got a lot of respect for people who work in, in hospitality. It's a really tough gig. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea. Mm. Sounds good. Plus the Gold Coast is an epic Yeah, place. absolutely. This time of year. I'm answering a question for you. All right. Uh, Callum 50 Cal Hannay. Cool name. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Good name for a beer. Um, biggest changes in the beer industry last five years? In the last five years? Yeah. That's a really good question. It's a good question. Um, I mean, the obvious first one is that it's it's now a big industry. Like yeah, five yeah. years ago, it was kind of really niche and small, and now it's a bit more mainstream. And it's not weird to walk into your local pub and see two or three craft beers on tap. Um, so I think there's a market change happening. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was talking to uh, Jamie Cox uh, from, or he's now from Hack Brewing in Victoria, formerly of uh, Coinda, and. Um, uh, we were sort of chatting yesterday about how, um, you know, five years ago it used to be much more of a uh, kind of a backyard operation was kind of the way we were describing it, but I'm not sure if that's the correct word mm. and how it was very much around a lot of mateship and all that mm. sort of stuff. And now everybody who's in the industry is becoming much more professional. Mm. I think that's good for the industry because it means that, that you're going to see um, uh, better beer out of it. Um, I think uh, from the perspective of someone who's in the industry, I actually think that that's a, it, despite that being a good good change that's happened over the last five years, I think we still need to focus on some fun. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And we can lose touch with that so quickly, you know, when yeah. you get wrapped up in the business. And yeah. so, yeah, that's I probably... Think I think I read, is it 50 breweries a year? That's happening in Australia? I think we're up. We're over 400 now in Australia, I think, Mm. uh, uh, according to uh, craft breweries. uh, Mm. They they reckon it's over 400 breweries and brewing companies. So if it's 50 Mm. a year, five years ago, I wonder how many there were. Probably bugger all. Oh, you'd be be less less than 100, I Mm. would say. If I I sort of... um, cast my mind back to sort of 2010 when I was working out at uh, Prickly Moses out in the Otways mm. um, there wasn't that many at all you know um, uh, no, wouldn't have been any no. I barely would have five years ago I was, I was, I was at Burley Brewing and I used to tell people like, like people say where do you work I say I work at Burley Brewing and on the Gold Coast people are like oh there's a brewery on the Gold Coast mm. and now like you know it, people know Burley people know Bolter people know us mm. they're just common places where people go to back then it was it was just kind of yeah hidden i guess yeah, when, yeah. waiting to blossom yeah, <laughs> we've matured it's, it's also i think like, particularly up here as well yeah, the, the yeah. queensland is 
was probably even a little bit further behind. Oh, massively. Oh, and a lot of that's got to do with... um, uh, pr- probably a lot to do with liquor licensing reform. Mm. Um, I, th- I think, I think Brennan, I think it was Brennan from Burley was talking about what what he did when he went to apply for his liquor license, and he approached the the, the, the liquor licensing department, and said, oh, "I'd like to apply to for a license to build a brewery," and they handed him the form that, to close a brewery because that's all they had because <laughs> <laughs> all the breweries are all closing. And yeah. so there's no, no, no. I want to open a brewery. Oh, you know. So it's changed up. Here and I think a lot of the things that have changed over the years have really revolved around the individual state-based liquor licensing. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, WA and Victoria are probably the the two states that um, have the most breweries in them. I'm talking five years ago. Yeah, and a lot of that was revolving around. It's pretty easy to get a liquor license in Victoria. It's bloody difficult to get a liquor license in Western Australia. But there was a lot of people with a lot of money who would apply. And would could afford to go through that process, um, and as you've seen, liquor license reform go sweep across the country, where um, state governments had started to view breweries not as big monoliths mm. like CUB and Lion Nathan, um, but as uh, niche industries, tourist attractions that mm. that, that create jobs and local employment. You've seen it. You've seen the breweries, the, the liquor licensing for breweries become aligned with wineries. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing I think I've noticed change. Like when I first remember hearing of Burley, it was like seeing their packaged bottles in bottle shops, ages and ages before I ever like experienced the actual brewery. Whereas, like breweries like ours, most of the people who've had Black Ops have probably either had it here or they've had it within you know five kilometres of yeah. here at a bar that's been brewed a couple of weeks before, like that. At least in Queensland, didn't really exist five years ago. Maybe it did in Melbourne, where you, where most people who are drinking the beer are actually rocking up to the venue or having mm. it close proximity to the venue. Mm. Yep, absolutely. And you know what? That's that's really the future of um, uh, craft beer industry. I think um, uh, you know uh, when I started uh, Brewcall back in two thousand and thirteen, um, uh, it was not difficult given the sorts of beers that I started out with, things like Acid Freaks and the Psychedelic Series and that sort of thing, uh, it was very easy. There was enough people spread thinly across the country that I could get almost national distribution out of it. I don't think I don't think that's repeatable now. I mm. think if you go and open a brewery, it's about being... Uh, the, the term that often gets used is hyper-local. You've mm. got to be hyper-local. Um, it's best for your product... It's best for your consumers, and I think that's really the the, the, the current trend in, in what's happening with craft beer here in Australia. Mm. Cool. Thanks for the question, 50 Cal. Thank you, 50 Cal. You know, it's 50 Cal from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite, same from 50 Cal, favorite style to brew and drink. Probably get everyone can answer this one. Do you, want me more? Mm. you can go first, guys. Favorite All right. style to brew and drink. Oh, it's one of those questions I get asked a lot, and I, I hate answering it. Because <laughs> um, I feel bad talking about beers in front of other beers so we're drinking <laughs> it's, your, it's your own beer cups we're drinking pink mist at the moment and i'm gonna say it but code red is definitely my favorite beer of ours to brew and to drink red ipas is uh just it just makes me happy i can't explain why i just i love red ipa love yeah. brewing them love smelling them love watching them ferment it's pretty sensual <laughs> That's enough from me. I'm just gonna go. 
that's uh, that's great, Gubsy. <laughs> <laughs> You'll go, Hendo. Oh, um, uh, I too like red IPA. However, um, I like doing. Um, look, I've, I've I've made and I still love to make IPA and, and variants of it. And you know what I love about um, uh, brewing IPA is. Uh, uh, there's there's a hell of a lot of IPA out on the market at the moment, and there's not no brewery in Australia that doesn't do at least one. And um, you know, there's a very small but vocal um, you know minority of uh, beer snobs out there, and I'll use beer snob instead of beer geek <laughs> as the terminology, who get really bored by IPAs. Go oh, not another IPA. Oh, it's a triple IPA, boring. Um, but you know. Um, I think IPA's a playground and not a prison. It's, it's, mm. There's so much you can do with it. And it still excites me. Hops still excite me, you know, after all these years. And, um, um, you know, and your sort of case in point is what I did with the psychedelic series of beers, you know, with Brewcult because they're all IPA. You know, there's six of them, but they're all they're almost identical, mm-hmm. right? Mm. They all have the same starting gravity. They're all hopped mm. at the same rate. Um, you know, uh, one of them has a different yeast strain than all the others. One of them has a little bit of wheat in there. Um, one of them has a little bit of crystal malt to turn it red. Mm. Um, and they're, even though they're so almost identical and the process that, that they go through to, to make, to brew them and ferment them is almost identical. Uh, these little variants have created six very, very different beers. And I love that, and I love those little nuances in how you can just change one or one thing, literally one thing, and you've got a completely different beer. Mm. That's cool. So I'm going to vote for IPA. Uh, Eddie, um, so this would be me. What's my favourite to drink? I guess because I'm like, oh, brew. Um, anything red that just like Gubsy and probably Hendo by the sound of his pink? response. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like pink, but um. Yeah, I especially like ambers and red IPAs. I feel like sort of the best of both worlds. And I, I always think in anything that tries to do two things really well, normally fail at both. Like if anything's called a hybrid, they're normally terrible at both things. But the red IPA or red beers, they pick up the, the roastiness and chocolatey that you get from a stout, but then the malt that you'd get from, from other styles of beers. Uh, I think the red just really does everything I want in a beer really well. Mm. Um, as far as beers I like to sit and enjoy and consume probably Belgian triples oh shit yeah, yeah. Belgians Good answer. Code Red's thing. coming back next week too for anyone it, it wasn't a direct plug <laughs> 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 alright I'm skipping it because I've never brewed anything in my life so I'm skipping that question um, alright AIRA Accounting Insti are you using an? We we're kind of talking about this a bit before. Are you using an app stack, i.e., a series of connected cloud apps to run the finance and operations of your brewery? If so, are there any apps which look promising or just didn't work out for your brewing business? Any now you can't live without. So this is a pretty big question because we use lots and lots of different apps to do with lots of different parts of what we do for the actual brewery. You can probably answer it. For yeah. other stuff, I can probably answer it. But. To answer it shortly, no, we don't have anything that's just connected and works perfectly. That's all we've got, Hendo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of Rockstar that's, Brewing that's 101. Here, yeah. um, <laughs> we did 
dabble a bit with um, Ecos. Ecos Brewmaster, which was intended to be an all-in program that would link with production and sales and oh, distribution. What, and, what happened there? Um, it doesn't link with Zero. It, yeah, no, it's only mild. Mild, isn't it? Um, and it was clunky. And it, was and it, it, it was clunky as fuck. Um, it it did record a lot of valuable information, but from a user point of view, you just it became a pain to use, and that's like just a telltale sign that you shouldn't use it. Mm. Um, yeah, if it's inhibiting the work that you're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, you want to kind of have something there that's not a burden on the task, and it was a burden for everyone from doing invoicing to mm. recording mash temperatures. So, like, we... We abandoned it. We've gone back to like some very primitive processes now, um, looking for the the answer. Mm. It's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You actually raised uh, the uh, the Ecos Brewmaster thing. I, I've seen it. I've had a bit of a play with it. I do know of a couple of breweries that are using it, um, um, and you know. I won't comment on ECOS itself, but what I will say is that um, capturing data in part of, as part of any manufacturing business is, is super important. Um, you've, you've really got to, as part of any sort of basic quality, um, you know, quality assurance and quality control, you need to know that you're making your beer within a, your, your specification. You've got to know you're hitting your targets and stuff like that. Um, so... There are a few other apps out there that I've heard of. Some of them are uh, SAP-based, which means they're <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I sort of cringe every time we see something. There's things like, you know, there's like SAP zero. systems, <laughs> are like things like orchestrated beer and stuff like that. Yeah. They're very they're popular in the States. but Super expensive. But super expensive. And no Australian brewer, you know, or, you know can, can afford to, um, to use them. Um, so I think the, really the question that sort of needs to be answered is, What's the minimum that information you need to capture? Yeah, and there's a massive gap in the market for that product. Mm. Um, if someone's willing to just produce it, mm. is just do you need do you need something that just looks after the manufacturing of beer thing? And did you really need something that uh, linked across to your sales and marketing? And well, inventory that's the question. And we, we were system. looking for inventory and looking for integration to zero. For I, I use I use an that. inventory system, so I use uh, I use Deer Systems yeah. as, as, yeah. as my inventory management system. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. It was easy to set up. Um, I never took it. I only use it for inventory of finished product, so I never took it as far as doing kitting and mm. assemblies and stuff yeah. like that. But it was ready to go. Uh, yeah. I certainly could do that if I put the effort into it. Um, uh, but what it didn't do, for example, is it didn't actually because it was a generic inventory system. It didn't actually track the steps around mm. manufacturing beer. Mm. It was just a general inventory. Yeah. Product, product yeah. cost control, unfinished goods, finished goods, shifting things between warehouses. Yeah. It does my invoicing, so every time I raise an invoice, uh, it syncs it across to zero. Uh, I can keep my sales reps up to date with um, with uh, stock that's in the warehouse so they know what's for sale, uh, but not in real time, so I have to email a PDF yeah. to them once a week. Yeah. It's good yeah. enough, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, didn't ha- doesn't have very good mobile. Uh, mm. Integration. A lot of these no. software, they're just kind of they've, they've written so long ago that they're not suitable for how people work these yeah. days. Yeah, like since since we abandoned using Ecos, I started working with a mate of mine who's a somewhat of a developer, and we just created some intelligent work set, uh, Excel worksheets that 
would capture the information that we needed and then try to make that integrate with these other spreadsheets and slowly piece together what would be just a fundamental rudimentary program that would capture the basic information that we need. It's working absolutely. <laughs> um, so the first one we did was I've done something similar. Was a spreadsheet well, so. that did all our excise reporting at mm-hmm. the end of the month. Um, so that was a process that would take me all day long, doing mm. it by manually. And when I told my mate, he's like, "You're fucking nuts!" Like I can put something together this afternoon that'll do it in two seconds. And we did. And I'm like, "What else can you do?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been working together for the past couple of months on a few different projects, but none of them are really 100 percent complete yet. Right. Mm. Okay. It's interesting. And then they're not something that could be easily productized either. They're just... It works for you. It works for yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the issue is every brewery is so different. It's hard for someone to come out with something that's going to suit everyone. Every brewery is different, but I'm not, I, I'm not convinced that the, each brewery is so radically different that uh, you can't... And I agree with you. You can't have... There's no one-size-fits-all uh, mm-hmm. model, but certainly if you take an 80-20 approach, there's got to be something there... And there hasn't been something done yet that suits um, Australian and or Kiwi brewers and, mm. and the, the systems of taxation that we work under and, and, and that sort of thing where uh, something actually just fits. It's not doesn't really exist yet, you know. Mm. And if you look at the stuff like Ecos or Orchestrated Beer and that sort of thing, they're very geared towards the American market and TTB reporting mm. and all that sort of stuff that really doesn't mean anything to an Australian brewer. Mm. Um, and probably is far too complex and far too scaled for businesses that's that's way bigger than what any Australian brewer is mm. currently. Mm. Good opportunity, maybe. Definitely. I haven't written code in a long time. <laughs> um, last question from Adam Sewell. Next big trend in craft beer you see coming? Oh, it's definitely sours. oh god that was really lame Uh, (laughs) that was last year wasn't it that was last year was sour sour's the new ipa um you know i think um heading into 2017 um we have a audience which are very savvy which continue to be very savvy um there's a lot of new people uh drinking beer um excuse me drinking craft beer um probably it's got to be choice choice is the new trend you know Mm. it's like Mm. there's just so many new breweries starting up um you know and there's so many Interpretations of existing styles of beer that are that are that are being done, um, and there's a lot of new brands starting up. It's it really it, that's I, I know that sounds really like flowery and shit, but it's that's that's what it is, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I it's like really... it's not really like so much what's the next big style that's going to yeah. hit the market. I think it's this level of engagement that's growing within the industry where people are going to their local brewery whereas before they would just go to the bottle shop like it's it's going to these events it's meeting the people behind it and, and yeah. developing those relationships with the community I think is going to be the biggest trend hmm. I never answer questions like I, that I think <laughs> to, to tie in with, with those both those answers I think fresh beer like I, that, in yeah, the last yeah, yeah, seven yeah. months that I've been a brewery owner 
I haven't drunk anything but fresh beer and I feel really spoiled and I want everyone else to be spoiled because it's incredibly different and you can't explain yeah. it. Mm. You just have to drink fresh beer to to know what I'm talking about. I was going to mention that because our latest post is about that, about all the things. Like I've sort of been a few steps behind Eddie in our craft beer process over the years and, you know, he, he like, you know, I was drinking Little Creatures and then he moves on to this and then he moves on to that and then he learns about the dates on bottles and I'm kind of a few steps behind. But writing about that yesterday on the blog was cool because it's, it's like a process where craft beer people know how to get fresh beer, but the rest probably don't. They probably don't understand, you know, how long beer can sit in a bottle shop or, you know, how quickly beer can go bad when it sits out, you know, sits outside. So that process of education or, or you know, how hard it is for beer to travel a long way. That's my... Um uh, that's always been my um, my mantra is is, is uh, fresh beer for as many people as as possible, um, and you know that all started for me when I you know, geez, I was for five years ago now, six years ago now, and I was standing in a in a well known Melbourne venue, and there was a, a tap takeover event from a particular country, which I won't because it'll identify the venue and the. And, and, and where the beer came from and that sort of thing. Go on, we, we and, like exclusives. Um, yeah. <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. So, you know, it was sort of like, you know, this, this tap takeover from a certain country and there was like mega well-known, super cool Brewery X and super cool international brand Y. Mm. And I was standing at the bar and I, you know, point to the IPA, I'll have the IP, that, that IPA from that, that super cool brewery, please. And I drank it and it was, um, you know, old and stale and, oxidized hops and stuff like that and um i was like oh that's disappointing i know it didn't come out of the brewery that way um and then i went okay well it's probably just no, next one i'll try the next one and try the next one and and it was another hoppy beer and it was the same thing again it was old and tired and um and um and i'm like oh that's really disappointing and then i looked around the room and i saw sort of groups of people huddled around and smelling and tasting all of these stale uh, IPAs mm. and and they're going wow this is amazing and I'm just like it just suddenly dawned on me you know that old and tired hoppy beer smell and flavour that's that's what these that's people the thought hops tasted yeah. like yeah, exactly. it's not like and I was yeah. just like oh that's really sad so um, so you know I went out to sort of try and change that and you know one of the things that we did. Uh, at Brewcott was whenever we did a, a, a new beer release and especially if it was a hoppy beer we'd get it out across the country and we'd get it simultaneously released all over the country mm. Mm. and that was that was pretty rad and everyone got to try really super fresh hoppy beer and people are then educated in particularly with your brewery when they're coming out they know when it's coming out yeah that's right I remember that happening as well like when your beer come out you'd be getting I'd know which one would be fresh yeah mm. I could you know I mean um you know, thanks to, to Dan Ricard from Calibre Beer up here in Queensland, uh, I ship beer out of the brewery the day it get, literally goes off the bottling line or the, or the keging line onto a pallet straight on a truck that day. It takes about, excuse me, that was the raspberry burp there. <laughs> um, then um, uh, straight up here, be three or, f- three or four days on a truck up here. Trucks can't go any faster than that, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and then he'd get it and he'd have it out the next day. So literally within the week, uh, we'd have beer out, out out here and in people's hands and bellies and brains. It was great. So, uh, And it just doesn't get any fresher than that. And, and nothing wrong with weak old beer. 
Yeah. I actually had that conversation with someone the other day and it was they asked they, they kind of raised a point that no one had ever brought to my attention. Not that I agreed with it, I just actually never heard it before. We were talking about, you know, these big popular American IPAs and how they're coming over here and maybe they're not getting here as quickly as we think they are, and maybe they're sitting in a hot warehouse trying to get cleared through customs. And the point that they raised was, well, that's what IPAs were all about, was mm. to, to travel, travel this yeah. long distances, and that's why they hire alcohol and hire hops, and it gives them a bit long, a bit more longevity. And it kind of just stopped me in my tracks for only a second. I'm like, okay, like I can see the sentiment that you're trying to make and you know, the relevance to maybe the history of the style, but at the end of the day, it tastes like shit. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't you know, taste anywhere near as good as it would no, if it on that side. The of guys the that were drinking on the boat the next day, they were having a fantastic time. <laughs> um, yeah. At the end of the trip, maybe they'd stop drinking and that's why it actually survived the trip. <laughs> they also <laughs> never used to ferment beer with fridges, so <laughs> yeah, I think we learned. We learned. That was never good. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that might have been a valid premise, you know, maybe in 1836 uh, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I just never heard that point raised. IPA is different now and... Times have changed and, and, and beer storage has changed and, and consumer tastes have changed. So oh, 100%. Valid point. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I'm like, that's mm, interesting. <laughs> I've yeah. never heard that one. I think it'd be cool for us to do something here where we where we do like a tasting. I mentioned to you the other day. Mm. Do like a tasting and bring in... Because we store older beer just to see how bad it goes over time. Yeah, we store our own in. beer in the most horrible conditions known to mm. man. And we do that with the purpose of seeing what our beers can handle. Um, and... You know, we're very aware that these temperatures and time, they don't, <laughs> they they don't certainly like don't love it. it. Don't like it. And, um, but you put the same beer in, in good conditions for, you know, only a couple of months and it's mm. fresh and it's fantastic. I think it'd be cool to do an event where, we, where people come in and, and we show them a bunch of these beers and explain the taste, just an educational thing, because I think it's... That's a great idea. Mm. Yeah. Good excuse <clears throat> to drink some beer. Good excuse to drink some beer, but also I think there's... I think we're pretty in the industry. I think there's more, like a lot more education to be done mm, in terms yeah. of, like I think a lot of the flavors people pick up on, like you say, they're used to it. They might actually like it, but it's just it's not actually how it's supposed to be. There's also a lot of perception from the consumer that beer is a non-perishable product. Mm. So mm. when you come from drinking Forex Gold and Carlton Draft that have amazing shelf lives that can last literally years. Um, you know, you, when you come from that space, you you go, oh, it's beer, it's it's alcoholic, so it's not perishable. Mm. Um, but that's not the case with with uh, a lot of craft beer that's unpasteurized and unfiltered, and um, you know, lots of things like that. So um, um, that's where I think a lot of the consumer education needs to happen as well. But yeah, I I agree. I also think the vast majority of people are buying their beer from bottle shops from breweries from a long way away they've probably been sitting in the bottle shop for a long time and they're getting used to that flavour as well mm. and I think even just pointing that out can be really eye opening absolutely alright you coming to, to that event yeah when are we doing it alright Gubs and Hendo are running it I'll just come <laughs> yeah we should do that Gubsy, come and watch Gubsy and Hendo drink beer <laughs> $50 we'll sell, we'll sell tickets to it don't worry <laughs> alright cool that's been really good Awesome to catch so up. what are we going to do over the next few weeks here in Series 2? What's, yeah. the, uh, what's the plan? Well, the, so the thing we, we haven't mentioned yet is the, this idea of the AIBAs and getting to a point where our beers are, are, I guess we're improving processes, we're probably making some changes. Yes, we're, we're going to be submitting beers to those awards and that's a couple of months away, so we're working towards right. that. So it gives AO, us some yeah. really good goals because, you know, obviously we're looking to improve our processes, improve our quality, um, get become better brewers make better beer 
the best validation for that is the, the biggest awards in the country. So yeah. let's so try for, for those that. who don't know what the AOBAs are, that stands for the Australian International Beer Awards. So that's um, run by the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria. Um, and that's run once a year. They judge it in, right before Good Beer Week, so it's mid-May now, and they get about 80 to 100 uh, world-class brewers uh, and industry people from around the world uh, come and judge. Um, I'm a huge fan, uh, and full disclosure, I am a, an AIBA judge, um, and I think it's a great way... I'm a huge fan of it. I'm a, it's a great way to... Um, for, for any brewery to submit their beers and have a professional, objective and impartial opinion of their beer from up from an industry peer. Um, and what it does is it helps brewers improve their process, get some feedback uh, and, um, and, and, and put, you know, hopefully win some silverware. So mm. I think what, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is not only looking at uh, our process, you know, here and making improvements... Uh, we're going to we're going to, uh, entries open next week. I think they open on the fifth of February. So we've got to get our skates on. That's okay. You have got like a month to enter. So <laughs> entering and submitting your exhibits don't, is not at the same time. So the entries open at the start of February. They close at I think it's around the first of March or something like that. Around the start of March, but you don't have to have your exhibits in until the around the end of April. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure of dates yet. We'll find out. We'll be able to let you know next 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 episode um but the idea is there is um um it's one thing to enter uh but you know uh, black hops has got a great range of beers and what class do mm. we enter these beers into um it's a very common mistake for brewers to enter their beers into competition and send them into a class that the description of, I mean, you've got to take the label away, uh, and it might say American Pale Ale on the label, but um, is that beer, according to a style guideline, um, actually an American Pale Ale? I think we'll probably talk about that in a future mm. episode about how the about the judging process and how that works. It's 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 uh, it's pretty cool how it all works. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to enter some beers in the RBAs. Yeah, it's going to be really see, exciting. It's, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see um, uh, how we go, and we're going to make some improvements to the uh, you know our process and our systems here, and let's let our industry peers decide mm. how we're doing. Sounds good. I think it's kind of cool. With a bit of luck, we'll do the final episode from the awards night <laughs> from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Going to be wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, on that note. On that note. That'll do. <laughs> I think we'll wrap it up. All right, yeah. so if you want to learn more about what we're doing, blackops.com.au forward slash blog. There's a couple of articles we've mentioned about the beer freshness um, and some other recent ones up there you'll probably like. And Hendo? Yeah, if you go to rockstarbrewer.com, uh, at the moment it's just a really basic page. Send me, give me your email address, and in, in seven days' time, I will give you an ebook which has the full recipe to thanks Captain Obvious IPA. Boom. That's, that's out of close. There's a link to right that there. on our Facebook Live video. Solid. All right. Thanks, awesome. guys. Thanks, Hendo. Cheers. And thanks for listening. Have a good day. Cheers.